everyone. I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of our Topics in Drug Testing podcast. My name is Frank Samaro, Director of Clinical Marketing for the Drug Monitoring Franchise at Quest Diagnostics. Today's episode is with Quest Diagnostics Senior Medical Advisor, Dr. Jeff Gooden, and Dr. Jack Kane, Director and Medical Science Liaison. They will be speaking with us today on drug testing your patients for marijuana. Welcome, Dr. Gooden and Dr. Kane, and thank you for being here. So without further delay, doctors, I turn the discussion over to you. Thanks, Frank. Thanks so much. So this is Dr. Jeff Gooden. I'm a pain and addiction specialist and a senior medical advisor to the drug monitoring franchise at Quest. And Dr. Kane, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Dr. Jack Kane, PharmD, medical science liaison, specifically for Quest Drug Monitoring and Toxicology. That's great. Thanks so much. So as Frank mentioned, today we're going to have a conversation about drug testing for patients in your practice. And today's topic happens to be about a very common topic nowadays, drug testing your patients for marijuana. Know that urine drug testing is really a key diagnostic and therapeutic tool that's useful for monitoring of adherence to a treatment regimen for chronic pain. It helps us to identify drug misuse or patients with substance use disorder either prior to starting therapy or during treatment with controlled substances. But as you'll see in just a few minutes, drug testing isn't so simple. It's associated with many complexities like how do we test, when do we test, what do we order, and how do we know how to interpret the result. And with more patients and consumers than ever showing an interest in marijuana-based products, understanding drug testing specifically as it relates to marijuana is obviously of clinical importance. Hopefully, Dr. Kane and I, during this podcast, will get you to understand a little bit about THC, or tetrahydrocannabinol, as well as CBD, cannabidiol, which many of our patients are asking about, and explain how you can go about testing for these substances in your practice. Jack, tell us a little bit about marijuana as far as how often it's used. Yeah, so as you know, there's apparently an increased access to marijuana due to states increasing its recreational utility. So marijuana is the most often used illegal drug in the U.S., approximately 10%. Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol is the primary psychoactive component. So marijuana is legal at the federal level. It's actually quite interesting just watching how the potency has changed over time and just in different formulations of marijuana. So we have everything from the classic smoking marijuana to oral formulations that include even gummies. But it's estimated that the average marijuana cigarette before the 1980s contained 1% to 3% THC and 6 to 20% in the 1990s. And then current strains have achieved 40 to 90% potency. So pretty alarming and actually scary if you even think about individuals who might use these substances or, or might even be naive to the potency of even yeah, like that's some a, oral Yeah, it's just unbelievable just how much products. more pure or potent the cannabis products have gotten over time. So I got to tell you, it's, it's quite a challenge that I have colleagues in certain states where the state laws have made marijuana legal from either a medicinal or a recreational purpose. But like you mentioned, marijuana is still illegal at the federal level. So it really has put a damper on being able to study these things you know, at academic centers around the country. But I think that's going to change with this huge push for researching THC. Now, as many of you know, this comes from a plant, right? So the chemicals in marijuana are found in both the leaves and the flowers. And almost all of us know about THC. That's the psychoactive component. But there are many other chemicals like you often hear about in the news that are contained in marijuana. And just like alcohol and tobacco, users can become dependent 
on marijuana. There's actually a psychiatric diagnosis known as marijuana use disorder. And similar to other substance use disorders, these things get diagnosed when people use more substances over a longer amount of time. It interferes with their quality of life. It interferes with their finances their school, their work. Clearly, we've seen effects on students, not just from a sports or athletic perspective, but also from their ability to focus. So we know that there's harmful effects associated with THC. And even more scary, at the lab level, we're seeing synthetic cannabinoids. So, you know, we talked about these naturally occurring cannabinoids, these phytocannabinoids that we find in plants. But there are some of these things like spice or K2, which can be even more harmful. Now, hey, Jack, how do we test for these synthetic cannabinoids? Yeah, well, you know, there's various methodologies for just drug testing in general, but we look for various specific analytes that are unique. I would call them unique biomarkers that indicate actual exposure to these substances. And so we can use immunoassay technologies and we can use mass spectrometer technologies to provide either a presumptive uh, analysis of these substances or a confirmation or quote, definitive test, which utilizes mass spectrometry. That's great. And, you know, just to dive into the physiology for a second, most clinicians might not recognize that we have cannabinoid receptors in our body. CB1 receptors are mostly in the brain and the central nervous system. CB2 receptors have been found throughout the the immune system. And THC affects different people differently. And like Dr. Kane mentioned, they're available in different formulations. So when you smoke marijuana, it's obviously rapidly absorbed through the lungs and enters the bloodstream in a matter of minutes. Whereas those new edible or oil formulations, those take a longer time to get into the circulation. And therefore, they don't work as rapidly as some of the more inhaled, like smoked or vaporized versions. The clearance is relatively quick. So when we drug test for these things at the lab, we don't necessarily test for THC. We test for some of the THC metabolites. Jack, can you introduce us to carboxy-THC? Yes. As I mentioned earlier, we look for these biomarkers that are unique to actual substances that have been either consumed or even on occasion through incidental exposure. But we look for these unique biomarkers, which on most occasions in drug testing are known as metabolites. And these are products that are formed essentially, for the most part, when your liver breaks down the substance of interest and forms this unique metabolite that we test for in specimens such as urine, um, but sometimes you can see them in blood and sometimes you can even see metabolites in oral fluid. Nevertheless, once we see a metabolite that is unique to that drug, we know unequivocally that that patient has been exposed to that substance. And so in this case, carboxy-THC is what we would look for for a patient who has been exposed to THC. Hey, Jack, can you tell me why are we able to detect marijuana for longer periods of time than, let's say, things like cocaine or opioids? Yeah, THC is unique in the fact that it actually stores in body fat. And it's one of those substances where even as a laboratory, you learn new things over time just by observing the physiology and the physical chemical properties of of a certain drug and then the unique characteristics of a patient's physiology and how they might store certain substances. And we continue to learn that THC has been pretty established. We know that THC metabolites are stored in body fat and are released from these sites slowly over time. Urine may contain that metabolite, carboxy-THC, for a week or even 10 days after light or moderate use, and as long as four to six weeks after heavy use. You know, I get a question all the time, Jack. Doctors want to know if 
our higher level, you know, our specific drug test can show how much they smoked or even when's the last time they smoked? Are we able to kind of narrow it down to those fine details? No, unfortunately, drug testing, while it's very useful in identifying exposure to substances and maybe correlating it to aberrant behaviors of drug misuse and abuse and or diversion, the technology is just not there yet. There's still plenty of variables that go into how people process medications or even how they're exposed to substances via secondhand inhalation, topical administration, um, and the list goes on. But one cannot say from a single drug test result that this medication or substance was taken specifically at this milligram at this particular time. That's great. So if I understand Dr. Kane correctly, the metabolite of marijuana, THC or carboxy-THC, gets stored in the fat, it gets released over time, and we could test for it in the urine. And it turns out that it lasts in the urine, this soluble metabolite, longer than it would in the saliva or the blood. So when I send a sample to the lab, I usually like to have a urine sample rather than, let's say, a saliva sample or a blood sample, because I think I could get a longer window of detection for marijuana use. And, you know, I think it's just important for us to review real briefly that there are different kinds of drug tests, right? There are these rapid tests. Some of us even do them in our office with a a dipstick or a a cup. And then there are these lab-based immunoassays for presumptive testing, and then even more complex tests for like confirmatory testing. Jack, can you take us through just a little bit the two kinds of drug testing? Yeah, generally, I would say that drug testing falls under the umbrella of two terms in terms of methodology. Uh, Presumptive, as you mentioned, includes that immunoassay or antibody technology that gives you a snapshot of a class of medications, in some instances, even a specific medication and and or its metabolite. But unfortunately, the presumptive testing, aka immunoassay technology, is subject to a certain amount of limitations that create a little bit of uncertainty, meaning that you sometimes you can't even identify a specific drug. We can only identify the class of medication that was present. So for instance, when you get a benzodiazepine positive, many immunoassay technologies can't specifically tell you, hey, this was just Xana. Uh, we can only tell you that, hey, there was a benzodiazepine that potentially a benzodiazepine that was consumed here. But fortunately at Quest, we leverage our definitive testing technology, which historically has been called confirmation, and that provides greater accuracy, there's greater sensitivity and specificity, and with that, the ability to identify specific metabolites, like for instance, alpha-hydroxyalprazolam, which is formed after consuming a Xanax product or something of that nature. Yeah, Jack, I know that when I'll call the lab to kind of ask some questions about why I got which results that I got, they explain to me that with the presumptive testing or the point of care testing we might do in the office, I mean, these things are wrought with false positives and cross reactivities. But when we do that higher level testing, that mass spec testing that you talked about, we don't often get false positive or false negative results. Is that right? That's correct. So when we test for THC, Jack, when a sample comes to the lab, do we do both immunoassay and mass spec on them? We provide multiple options. You can always just go straight to mass spec, or you can do the what we call the reflex. Hey, there's a screen, and if positive, it will automatically go to our mass spec testing, which is confirmation. 
we know unequivocally marijuana is there or the metabolite for marijuana is there. And that is and what Jack, we call, again, constant. Yeah. One of the things that patients will always say, well, look, doc, it wasn't me. I was in the room with someone who was smoking. Can you talk to us a little bit about what happens with passive smoke or passive inhalation if others are smoking around you? Will that give them a positive test or is that just a bunch of baloney? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> Something we think about at the laboratory all the time, you know, what's possible versus what's likely. And in many occasions, patients who, who have a history of substance use disorder, let's face it, they're constantly exposed to these substances, whether they be in their household, through friends, through maybe a, a drug dealer, um, and then the risks that are associated with that, that external stimuli, that substance that is still present within the patient's lifestyle is still concerning. Um, but that being said, yeah, it's possible you could test positive. Um, at what cutoff is hard to say, meaning at what detectable threshold or concentration of metabolite that's present in the urine at the time of collection is hard to say. Um, but you think about the scenarios where uh, an individual might test positive through secondhand inhalation, you know, you, you would have to be in a pretty uh, tight spot, poor ventilation, aka maybe even the hot box scenario. But uh, yeah, so it's possible. So, you know, when, is it likely? Yeah. So when clinicians ask me, I, I say exactly that. It, it, it's highly unlikely. Like they would really need to be in a closed box, inhaling prolonged levels of secondhand smoke, because at Quest, we set our cutoff high enough so that it doesn't pick up the most minute concentration. So we usually don't turn positive from just passive inhalation. So most oftentimes, exposure is mm -hmm. direct and not secondhand. You know, Jack, before we summarize, I think it's important to let our readers know a little bit about CBD, right? It's all over the news. We see it advertised in the, in the circulars in the Sunday paper. CBD is another cannabinoid. We talked about THC. That's the psychoactive component. It is a non-psychoactive part of the marijuana plant, right? So CBD has mm -hmm. some analgesic benefits, some anti-inflammatory benefits. Some people will use it for sleep. Some people will use it kind of as a neuroprotectant. Some people even think it has anti-cancer properties. And if you look at the dispensaries or now even in your local drugstores and, and pharmacies, you could find sublingual sprays, oral, like oil tinctures. They're selling topicals like lotions and bombs. They come in little edibles or capsules. And then obviously we've heard a lot about this on the news, vaporizing, right? The kids who are vaping, they're usually doing some nicotine product, but you can also vape or smoke CBD. You know, the legal status of CBD isn't all that clear, but because there's no THC in there or very little amounts of THC, it's not regarded as a direct THC product. But I think our listeners need to know that marijuana and CBD is a drug. They're, they're drugs like any other drug. And there are some drug-drug interactions, including some hepatic P450 interactions that we need to know about. The testing world for CBD is really still emerging, right? So some of these CBD manufacturers get a little bit of THC into their products. So we've heard reports of people using, let's say, CBD they bought at Amazon or a dispensary who are testing positive for THC. So if one of my patients tests positive for THC and swears up and down that they didn't use it, I ask them about CBD. I tell them they can no longer use that CBD. They really need to get CBD from a regulated source where we know that it has little to no THC if possible. So Jack, with this great interest in marijuana-based products, I think it's important for clinicians to ha really have a good understanding of when to test their patients for marijuana. 
Now, I've met clinicians who say, look, you can't take marijuana at all, no way, no how. And I've met clinicians that say, look, I find marijuana to be an effective analgesic, a muscle relaxant. I find that patients use less of their opioids or benzos when I let them use marijuana. So really, it's just amazing how there's such a disparity between clinicians on where is the utility of marijuana and CBD in practice. But I don't think that negates the importance for testing. So what I would do in my practice is I would get a baseline test for some illicit substances, including marijuana, before I prescribed any type of opioid, benzodiazepine, or medication for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And then I test my patients within, let's say, one to three months after their baseline to make sure they're being compliant. And if they're at low risk, maybe I'll only test them once or twice a year thereafter. But if they're high risk, I might test them every month or every other month. Jack, any closing comments? I would just say drug testing is a very important tool. It's a staple in many practice settings, and it's a great tool for opening up dialogue with patients, albeit those conversations can be very tough, but it's very important that patients know and providers communicate to patients that, hey, if you consume a CBD product, despite all the claims of purity, you could test positive for what is considered marijuana consumption. Absolutely. No question about it. So I'd like to thank you guys for joining us for today's discussion. It's been sponsored by Quest Diagnostics. And just so that you know, Quest serves one in every three adult Americans and about half of the physicians and hospitals in the United States. Our drug monitoring division has probably one of the largest databases that we could mine. And we do publish some very exciting research as well as a report known as the Health Trends Report. We've done that each year, probably for the last eight or nine years. A properly implemented drug testing program is an important step in tackling drug misuse and abuse. Please let Quest be your trusted partner when you screen your patients for use of these illicit substances. Dr. Kane, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I want to thank you all for joining us for today's discussion on marijuana and THC. I would also like to thank our experts, Dr. Jeff Gooden and Dr. Jack Kane. To learn more, please visit questdrugmonitoring.com for information on Quest drug monitoring test directory and offerings, as well as educational resources and insights from our team of toxicology experts. At Quest Diagnostics, we are committed to providing you results and insights to support your clinical decisions.